Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. First Peter chapter number two this evening. As you're turning there, also just some announcements, if you will, for uh, next week. Uh, next week we're having prayer at the church on Thursday, the 21st, and then family game night, the 22nd, that Friday. That's for everyone that's going to be here. We have also a Section 5 overflow rally in Medora, Indiana that same night but uh, usually is the case people have no way to get off work early enough in order to make that so I figure there will be plenty here for family game night as uh, I'll be headed toward the rally and we're going to have representation uh, ministering in the ministry uh, moment or ministry spotlight that night is going to be our very own Zach McGee it's kind of a uh, ministry moment that happens during that service uh, that they encourage for uh, ministries that are growing within our section and uh, then they have a guest speaker then later that night but I'm excited about him being able to go and do that and I'm excited about being able to be there amen as well so that's going to be great amen so we're looking forward to that first Peter chapter number two we'll begin reading with verse number 13 uh, tonight Continuing in our series on 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We just not got there yet, but nevertheless, the Bible states these words. And I'm going to read to verse 17 to get us started here tonight. <clears throat> it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The Bible says in 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the King. Tonight, I want to entitle our lesson, For the Lord's Sake. For the Lord's Sake. Amen this evening. Hallelujah. Again, if we could just one more time go to the Lord in prayer, that the Lord would touch our minds tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm asking God that you would, Lord, minimize, Lord, every distraction and let our focus, Lord, be upon you. I pray, O oh Lord, this evening, touch our hearts and minds. God, these are the words, Lord, that you have spoken, that you have, Lord, inspired men to put, Lord, quills to page and parchment, Lord Jesus, God, for our learning, for our instruction, for our reproof. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, God, that you're able to help us, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, this service this evening, God, enlighten us, God, through your word. Will not fail to thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You know, going through uh, these books of the Bible at different times as we do, verse by verse, 
is uh, kind of like whenever Paul said that he um, he said that he uh, did not he did not I can't even think what I'm trying to say right now but he did not keep from divulging uh, the whole counsel of God and to those that was under his care and so that's what we do uh, because you may come across some places that you know normally if you're not a read your Bible all the way through type person that you just might not normally go to passages or places amen but all the Bible is important uh, regardless if it's begats or not it's all important amen so uh, going through a book of the Bible kind of forces us maybe into places that we would not otherwise go in order to approach tonight's lesson though it's important that we kind of uh, go where we left off from last week we ended last week uh, with a particular mind frame and that was verse number 12 and really uh, everything that comes forth from verses 13 to 17 and even some beyond uh, are hinged upon the concept of verse number 12. Verse number 12, for a little refresher here, uh, Peter said, having your conversation, which is your conduct, honest among the Gentiles, which Gentiles were normally anybody that was an unbeliever, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so uh, that little verse alone, we understood that he was admonishing us to have our conducts to be proper among unbelievers in the world because just because we are believers and just because we are the church, so on and so forth, and that we live uh, to the beat of a different drum that automatically puts us under the the, the, the eye of scrutiny, and as a result of that, sometimes we are spoken against as evildoers. And so he says, you need to live your life the best that you can so that when they speak against you as an evildoer, uh, that they really don't have a finger to lay on your life or what you do, and that the way that you live your life, they'll look at this and really, in turn, as they may have spoken against you, realize, you know what? They're not such a bad group after all, uh, and that perhaps they will give glory to God in the day of visitation, meaning that hopefully by the way that we live our life, that could influence somebody to win them over to the Lord, uh, to serving the Lord, following the Lord, so that whenever the rapture takes place someday, it's not just you going up in the rapture, but someone even may that have spoken against you in time past going up as well, because their life has been indelibly touched and changed by the way you have lived your life. I know that's a lot I've said just from a little verse 12, but that is the hinge then for where we are going. So it's important. Everybody say it's important. It's important to maintain a proper conduct. Again, people's watching our lives. Remember, we're strangers, and so they're paying attention uh, to us. As a matter of fact, one of, the, one of the qualifications in the Bible of a bishop or a deacon or an elder, one of the qualifications in the Bible is that they would be found blameless, the scripture says. And we can relate through the, 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 the office of a deacon and say, well, I'm not a deacon, Brother McGee. I understand that maybe by the terminology of, of the title, but really the simple definition of a deacon is this, one who executes the commands of another. And so in many regards, we all can identify with executing the commands of another uh, being servants, if you will. We can all identify with that definition. And so it says of a deacon or someone that executes the commands of another that they should be found blameless. And the word blameless in the Scripture literally means nothing to take hold upon. 
meaning that a person would live their life in such a way that there would be nothing in their life that others can take a hold of. And let's say for the purpose of Christian, take hold of and attack the church over. And so it's a metaphor, really. Uh, the, the word deacon, or the word blameless, rather, is a metaphor. And it's taken, it's taken from the, the uh, arena of an expert or a skillful boxer who that boxer defends himself and his body, every part, and so much so in a way that it's impossible for his opponent to get a hit in on him. That's kind of where the connection for that word blameless is. So you live your life in such a way that you're so well covered and defended that no one can get a hit on you. And so to be blameless, you really have to have a track record. A track record. Uh, so that no one can get a handle, so to speak, on you. And we see this in Scripture. We see this blameless idea, or we see even the idea that Peter is conveying in the Scripture in the Old Testament, that our good old candidate Daniel, who was taken from uh, the area which was his native home to Babylon, he lived such a respectable life in Babylon that they could not find uh, something wrongful about his character or something wrongful about his life in order to convict him or attack him. Uh, so what did they have to do? They had to find something right that he was doing and use it against him. They used his daily prayer life. Amen. His daily prayer life against him to attack him. And the end result, though, and here's that thing of living your life, your well-doing that maybe, you know, it could win over some being consistent with the way that he lived his life in a good way, a godly way, whenever the attack was said and done and he crawled up out of the lion's den, uh, unscathed, not bit, not consumed, you'll remember that the Bible spoke, speaks of, then the king said that everybody was to revere and exalt and honor the God of Daniel. Amen. So there is a good story and example of living your life in, in, in good behavior uh, before men, unbelievers, Amen, that's hopefully that they will then have an appetite for God whenever it's all said and done. So, the hopes was this, again, that people would be won over to God by the godly behavior of the believers. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Godly behavior, everybody say godly behavior. Godly behavior cannot be regulated to the church alone. I'm not talking about church as individuals. I'm talking about the church house. Godly behavior can't just be something we practice inside these four walls and then practice something else outside of these four walls. Godly behavior is not a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night practice. And then we're out of practice Monday through Tuesday and Thursday through Saturday. Godly behavior has to go beyond. Godly behavior's got to hit every area of our lives, those areas that are public, and those areas that are private, even within the context of our homes. Amen. Because it, 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 would, be a, it would be a bad representation on one hand to tout, you know, honor God, you know, uh, maybe in the public form, and then, uh, or even within the church for that matter, and then be disrespectful to the laws. We're getting to it here in verse 13 and 14. Then be disrespectful to the laws of our land or the laws of our community or those that are in authority even within our community and within our governmental system. 
Okay, see, these are just areas we walk through that maybe you would just not go to to read. But uh, when we talk about living godly lives, it's not just being respectful to God. It's being respectful to those who are in authority in our lives. We are called upon, verse 13 tells us, we are called upon to submit, or if you will, to respect every ordinance of man, whether that originated with with the terminology of their day and the governmental system of their day, whether that, that, that ordinance originated with the king or for our purposes, the top ruler, the president, okay? Or those that serve under the king, those that serve under his authority, which for them was governors. You know, we, we have mayor, we have commissioners, we have the president, we have cabinet, we have senate, we have house representatives. So we have a lot of different, you know, governing bodies. And so we are to submit to all and any of these persons. But understand this. Well, Brother McGee, but there's a lot of bad things going on. Yes, there is. This submission that is being spoken of by Peter is that we are to submit to every ordinance in any person, understanding that that's them being in harmony with the ideals of God, okay? Because there's other scriptures that tell us, even Peter and some of the other apostles in Acts had a time in which the governing bodies and authorities uh, were asking of them or requiring them to do something that was not in accordance with the commandments of the Lord. And Peter and them basically said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So there is proper times when you resist governmental powers that that is when they are not in alignment with the god of the universe all right so we although we have laws that enable uh, uh abortion we do not go out and practice abortion uh, although we have laws in certain places you know for uh, whatever medicinal uh, marijuana we're not going out there and buying a case of it right now okay uh, so so what, what, what we're getting at is this, is the, the submission to authorities, the submissions to powers and ordinances are those that are already in alignment with God. And so we obey those. Amen. We obey those and we subject ourselves to those. Uh, another good example of whenever there, that wouldn't happen, we'd be back in 2015, the whole Kim Davis thing in Kentucky, uh, her being the county clerk and standing for not uh, signing over her name or having her name to same-sex marriage license. And so that would be another place where she obeyed God rather than men because men were not in alignment with God, all right, at that point in time. And so the thing is, in, in, in the Scripture here that Peter is, is relaying, Christianity and the Christianity had a, a bullseye and a target on it enough. And so Christianity didn't want to be viewed as trying to overthrow the hierarchy, if you will, of the citizens government network, or as we'll see a little bit later and walk with me here of, of the servant master, or some would even call slave master network. We'll see even a little later in the next chapter of the wife husband you know, submission and authority uh, type thing. But what is going on here really in Scripture, Peter is telling us that these acts of submission, us as citizens to the government, or us, if we put it in today's terminology, you as a employee to your employer. Oh, boy. That, that we really elevate our acts of submission because the Bible says we submit ourselves in every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Meaning that our motive 
for our behavior as a citizens to our government or as a employee to our employer or our boss is really nothing other than the Lord's sake. That as I serve the governing body, I must do it as unto the Lord. As I am an employee, I must do it as unto the Lord. There's scriptures to that effect. The Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. I just might help some of you with your depression in your job. You've been doing it as unto man, but if you work that thing as unto the Lord, uh, someone said, you're not helping me much. Amen. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Romans 13 and 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. That's telling you, this whole, I told you before, and I think this was in our one God say, the whole governmental idea and system, legislative, executive, judicial, all that really flows from the identity of God. Amen. And so God is a God of government. God is a God of a government. And so much of what we have even concerning government comes from a Judo-Christian basis of understanding God, being a God of govern, government. Amen. And so with that in mind, we understand every power that's in place really is under the auspices or under the hand of God. Now, God ordains people to be in positions, all right? But they still have a choice on how they handle the power that they've been delegated. And that's where you get them being out of alignment with what God wants, all right? But since God ordains these powerful authorities, and if they stay in alignment with the precepts of God, then it is our responsibility then to be obedient to these authorities. Someone say amen. I thank God that there's some regulations and laws. I thank God for the USA. Amen. Thank God for the USA. And I appreciate those that are in authority and have delegated power from God. And I want to try to the best of my ability to be a good Christian even within the circle of the governing world in which I live. The purpose, the Bible tells us even here when you look at it in verse 14, the purpose of these authorities, governors, kings, whoever they may be, presidents, so on and so forth, the purpose of them was that they were to punish the lawbreakers and that they were to reward the law keepers. That's good. That's good. Don't want to get them confused, you know, flipped, but that's good. And so with proper use, when they punish the lawbreakers and they reward the law keepers, when there's that proper use, then we should submit, amen, unto them as submitting unto the Lord. Because the Lord gave them the power to which they govern. All right? But there's something we got to realize then, being Christians... You're a Christian, and you're already under a little bit of a, a microscope, if you will, of scrutiny. And since you walk to the beat of a different drum when it comes to the societal norms of what goes on in the world, maybe even considered to be a nonconformist, they're not conforming, they're not doing as everybody else is doing, we got to even be more sure about living our lives, amen, so that whenever there's allegations that come against us, wrongful allegations that come against us, that we can live a life that would prove the allegation incorrect, amen. Peter said that in verse 15, that us living our lives in such a way well that we might put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. He said that was the will of God. So basically what Peter is saying in all of this, 
If I could sum it down just to a sentence, Peter is letting the Christians know of his generation and time and of our time that in whatever capacity you serve or whatever type of relationship that you may find yourself in, whether it be a governing body, whatever it may be, whether it be a work situation, whatever you find yourself in, you can be a Christian. That's really what it comes down to. That's really what he's conveying. You can be a Christian in whatever capacity that you serve in in life. Mm -hmm. Because we have people today, really, there are people out there that are really uh, people with clout that are in some very high, uh, uh, high social positions in our world that are Christian people. In other words, you don't have to, in order to have one, you don't have to forfeit the other. I guess, I guess that's what we're trying to get at here. In order to have one, you don't have to forfeit the other. You, you can be a good government individual and be a Christian. You, you, you can be an employee and be a Christian. Someone say amen. The Bible says, and it's important. It's important for us to do well. It's important for us. It's important for us to be respectful of the offices of the United States government. It's important for us to be respectful of the offices of our local government. It's important for us to be respectful of all those matters. Look at Jeremiah 29 and 4. I believe this uh, sears it in my heart and mind. Amen. Jeremiah is speaking of that time whenever uh, the Israelites were taken away captives. Look at verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and to all that are carried away captives, for they're taken away from their homeland, they're put in a land that's foreign to them, okay? whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look at verse number seven. He says to those people that are in strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land, he says, seek the peace of the city. Of where? Of Babylon. Whether I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray unto the Lord for it. For what? For Babylon. Why? For in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. There's no sense in trying to go through this life here on the earth with a bunch of animosity hatred, anger, just because we're of two different cultures. You need to pray for your city. You need to pray for your state. You need to pray for your nation. You need to pray for those that are in governing positions because in the do while praying for their peace, if they get peace, guess who else gets peace? You do. Amen. So it serves you well to be in submission. It serves you well to have that attitude of prayer, although you're just a pilgrim and stranger while you're traveling here below. Look at verse number 16. He said, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servant of God. Amen. I like what Butler said on this. He said, liberty. When we're speaking of liberty, we're talking about now we are, we're free from sin. Uh, for the New Testament saints, they were free from the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. Okay, so this is a whole new freedom for them. Amen. He said, liberty, that freedom, is not a license to do as we please or to ignore our responsibilities to holy living. Living, We are freed from the shackles of sin so we can serve God. Because see, whenever you read through Galatians, there is this constant battle of talking about those that are free, no longer in the law, and it's the, it's the law of the Spirit, and so on and so forth. And you know what was happening? People say, I'm free from sin. I'm free from the ceremonial law. And somebody got a wild hair and thought, you know what? That means we can just do whatever we want, and God loves us. Wrong-o. Wrong-o. 
That didn't give you a a cloak of maliciousness to do whatever you decided you wanted to do. No, that newfound freedom allowed you to still be a servant unto God. But do you understand the freedom you have being a servant of God? Hmm? Do you understand the freedom you have to be a, a servant of God? One man said it like this. He said, well, I don't, I don't have to drink anymore. I don't have to cuss anymore. I don't have to do drugs anymore. <laughs> I don't have to have five relationships anymore. Well, glory. Amen. And so whenever we approach, whenever we approach each law and each regulation that even comes from our government in this land, and the authorities that it comes, whenever we approach that, and we approach it that we are a servant of God, we can comply in a loving manner as long as it doesn't betray any type of biblical standards or commands of God. And this was the summation then of Peter in verse 17. He said, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. It's that simple. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, have that reverence for God, and honor the king. I want to say something real quick about the honor of the king fact. Honor the king, which was the top ruler for their day. Ours for America would be the president. This is what I want to say about that. And that is, you can respect an office when you're not able to respect or honor the man. Because there's a lot that goes on sometimes when there's a transitioning from one president to another that people start to dog men and offices along with the men and forget that in all regards that presidential office still needs to be revered and respected. You're teaching your children something or whatever very wrong if you don't teach them to honor the office. Because the office of the President of the United States is still a very honorable position in this country. Not everybody who feels it may be honorable, but it is still a very honorable office within our country. And you can honor the position, all right, without agreeing with everything that comes from the mouth of the man. Amen. I think this, this is illustrated for us even in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, David illustrated this for us in his own life. He is not yet king. Saul is king. And yet David is hiding out in the cave because Saul and a group is searching for David. They're wanting to kill him. David is in a cave with some of his men. Saul comes into the cave to use the restroom. That is the literal interpretation. He is is in there using the restroom, and there are some people that are with David saying, David... God has put your enemy right before you to take his life. Why don't you just take his life or allow one of us? We can do away with this opposition. You can kill him. But David did not. He told him he wouldn't. But he did cut off the skirt or the hem of Saul's garment. And even when he did that, Bishop, the Bible says his heart smote him. And he felt like even doing that was too much. Look what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 24 and verse 6. And he... That's David said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. He's talking about King Saul, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. God had made him king. Was he doing David right? No. Had he did everything right in his rule? 
No. You know what David is saying? He's king, and I'm honoring the office, although the man in the office may be wayward. I'll leave that up to God. You want to fight? Vote. So pray for those in authority. Live in harmony with them at all possible. Amen. Because why? Because ultimately, those interactions could come to bear on their salvation. Yes. See, that's the overall scope here. That we could live the good life that they would glorify glorify God in the day of his visitation. Amen. Look at this. Here, this is what we should do. The Bible commends this to us, asks this of us. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 1 through 4. Let me read it in your hearing here this evening. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, verse 2, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. What are you saying? Say, pray for all these people. No matter how much clout they may have or authority they may have, because God would really like to see them saved. As much as you just might dislike them, God would really like to see them saved. As much as you don't agree with them, God would really like to see them saved. Amen. That's his word. Now let's go on. Verse number 18 of second of, of first Peter chapter number two, verse number 18, 18 through 20. Now, so he's speaking about the citizens and the government thing. Now look, he does a switch here. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. So, not just to those that treat you good, but those that don't. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongfully. Now, let me tell you, these verses I'm reading to you are easy to read, but they're difficult to live by. (laughs) I'm just saying... Listen to the verbiage of these scriptures. For this is thankworthy, verse 19, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. So you did something wrong, you're chastised, you take it patiently. What's that? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, You take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Now, some people have a hard time even taking it patiently when they did it and it was wrong and they knew it was wrong. All the justifications and excuses come out of the bag. God, I need to polish that pulpit. But he's saying, I'm just kidding, Sister Johnson. He's saying... But whenever you'd done well, but you suffered as though you didn't do well. You're you're, you're attacked as though you didn't, but you did. Can you 
suffer with. He said, suffer patiently. That, that, that's acceptable to God. See, in, I'm going to talk about this a little bit, this because he's talking here concerning servants or slaves and their masters. In, in, in the New Testament, the, the, the Greek-Roman world, or the Greco-Roman world, they had this concept in view, and you see this in different epistles. Many times they go through the hierarchy of a household. They talk about servants and slaves. They talk about husbands and wives. They talk about parents and children. They talk, they talk about this hierarchy in a household. Because, and that was important to them, the hierarchy or, or the pecking order, if you will, of the household was important to them because they believed, and I think it's something that we still believe, but they believe that the household affects then the overall society. What goes on within the household affects the overall society. And so instructions are being given here. Peter is given instructions on how to live out your life even if you were a servant or a slave. Now, see, this is not the moment for Peter to go. He's talking to a bunch of believers, Christians here. This was not the moment for him to uh, speak against the whole concept and idea of slavery that was taking place in that day. What he's saying is this. This is the way that culture is right now. They are supporting slavery. I'm telling you, if you are a slave, this is how you can live as a Christian. You understand? He's telling you, I'm wanting to tell you how to live in the real world that you live right now. And so he's trying to tell them how to live out their life in their present surroundings, in their present context. And so, therefore, uh, the responses that would take place in the home, uh, the, 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 the submission that took place in the home, whether it was good or whether it was bad, would give an overall indication over what would happen in society, whether there would be peace or whether there would be disharmony. So in this Roman, this, this Greco-Roman culture that they lived, listen to this, it was expected, this is the culture of their time, it was, it was expected that both slaves and the wife of a man, or wives, I guess, but the wife of a man was to be loyal to his master's gods or her husband's gods. Meaning, a slave couldn't have a different god than his master. Whatever his master, whatever he served as god, that's what the slave had to serve as god. Likewise with his wife, they had to serve the same god. And a wife, now this was their culture, a wife was expected to befriend and interact with her husband's friends and she could have no friends of her own. Her friends was regulated by whoever the friends of her husband was. So think for a moment. Slave becomes Christian. Slave becomes Christian. Let's say master served Ashtoreth. Slave becomes Christian wants to serve God, right? And so we start to have a little in the relationship because he's not going to serve Asherah like his master does now because he's become a Christian. Amen. That's okay because that's not lining up with the word of the Lord. But what Peter is telling that slave, you can serve God, but in every other area that is okay concerning what your master asked of you, he says, you better do it. Is everybody all right with me? Amen. Likewise, the wife, same thing could happen to her. And so there's that little, that little struggle. Because now it would appear as though the slave and the wife are, quote, unquote, rebelling. For that matter, she might even got some new Christian friends that don't, aren't friends with her husband, you know. 
And so it may look like rebelling. Amen. And so we got to understand something as well. Slaves in the, in the biblical times is a whole different concept than what you're thinking of historical American slaves. All right. Slaves in that time were people that may have been captured uh, in war, basically prisoners of war in reality. Uh, slaves in that time could have been an individual that sold themselves into slavery because of economic woe that they had in their own life. Slaves in that time, there were some that served in mines, but there were other slaves in this culture that had notable professions such as doctors and teachers. They were slaves. Some slaves even owned other slaves in biblical times. Some slaves were even better educated than their master. So we're talking about a whole, you know, you, you can't view that type of system in the Scripture through what you know the history of America to be because you'll come out wrong. For that matter, slavery in biblical times wasn't based on race. I'm just saying this for, for good purpose tonight. But again, slaves had no legal rights. They could be beat. They could be branded. They could be abused both physically and sexually. Masters were known even in the context of that culture to mistreat slaves, but they were admonished by Peter to still remain and be respectful as much as you can in spite of being done wrong. For everybody that wants to argue and go to bat every time, I'm just saying, I'm talking to us as real people here tonight that want to argue and go to bat for every time that we feel like we've been done wrong. This is where it gets real. I'm just saying, he's saying, you live your life, you might be suffering wrongfully, but be patient, this is acceptable in my sight. You know what he's saying? I got your number, I know what you've been through. I see all I know all. You don't have to go to your defense. I'll go to your defense. And if it's not right now, in the future, I'll take care of it. I think I almost need to go home right now. He says, the word in verse number 18, servants be subject to your masters. The word subject means be voluntary, be voluntarily submissive. It's not talking about forced obedience. It says, be voluntarily submissive. Do you understand what it means to be voluntarily submissive when you are being mistreated? Yeah, I thought it might be quiet tonight. <laughs> because their call as a Christian slave or Christian servant was to serve in their capacity when they were being treated well or when they were being treated not so well within their slave-master slave master relationship. And like I said earlier, for us, here we go, for us, it might be in our employee-boss relationship. Hmm. If that relationship can't be good, this is my advice. You may need to find a different job. For sure, if in that relationship it's going to get so muddled enough that you're going to put a black mark on your witness of being a Christian. Well, 
Bishop, I might need to get a chair up here and sit by me. I'd feel a whole lot more comfortable if you would. Amen. What we got to remember in the end of these circumstances, I'm preaching to the preacher tonight. You're going to remember in any of these relationships or environments is that, again, God knows. Right? God knows. But we're not satisfied sometimes with the fact that God knows. We want everybody else that may think otherwise to know. That's our pride. Having to be right, that's our pride. Not wanting to look bad, even though we may, may know personally it's, it's not true. That's our pride. Having to go to bat for ourselves. We got to come comfortable. It's what Peter is telling them as Christians. You got to come comfortable that God knows exactly what's happened, whether it's been wrong, whether it's been justifiable or not. God knows. And I'm just asking you to stay devoted to him through it all. He knows the truth and he will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will even bring vengeance if vengeance is necessary. And if he don't bring it in this life, perhaps he'll bring it in the life to come. But we got to be patient. Got to be patient with the injustice. We got to be patient with the timing of God. His timing to rectify these things. Because he knows exactly when it needs to be done. Read, look, look at this tonight. Romans 12, verse 17. Got some, some different blocks of scripture reading here tonight. Romans 12 and verse number 17 here this evening. Now, these are big pillow, pill, pills to swallow. Amen tonight. I know. Look at the verse of scripture. It says, Paul, writing to the church of Rome, it says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Now, listen, I, this is not, I did not write this. Paul did, inspired by the Holy Ghost by God. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it be possible. Well, it just wasn't possible, Brother McGee. So the next phrase gives us, as much as lieth within you. Have you done everything within your power to stay at peace with what's going on? The injustice. It says, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Ooh, ah! Don't go to bat for yourself. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. That's okay. It's all right to have a disagreement. It's all right to state your position, but you don't need to go avenging. For it is written, vengeance, which is even different from avenge, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. What is that? God knows. He knows. He will do the vengeance if there is any. You have to take that in your own hand. The vengeance of today is the shootings we're having. Well, yes, workplaces, school places, relationships. Oh, Lord. Amen. It says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
I will pray. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. What? If he thirst, give him drink. Man, if man, I've had an enemy like that, I think I'd try to starve him. Man, dehydrate him. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Have you ever tried to win somebody over with kindness? It makes them really uncomfortable to treat you so wrong and you not give evil for evil and treat them so good. Son, they are boiling over. Verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, they're easy to read, but they're hard to abide by. It's kind of like that guy, you know, he read that scripture, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He said, I know vengeance belongs to you, Lord, but if you'll move over a little bit, I believe I could help. Amen. Let me move on. I need to hurry. First Peter 2 and verse number 21 going on here tonight. Here's the big one. So we're talking about this struggle, suffering whenever we've been done unjustly, whether as a, a, a servant or a slave or, and, 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 and trying to be honorable to higher powers. And he comes with verse 21. Peter says, for even here and two were ye called. You remember being called the suffering? For even here too were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps who did no sin. Neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are ye returning to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Peter said, wait a minute. He said, you've been called to suffering. You've been called even to suffer unjustly. Because Christ, your Savior, suffered for you. And guess what? He suffered unjustly. Mm-hmm. Those cat of nine tails didn't belong on his back. That crown of thorns didn't belong on his back. That's, that spear through the side didn't belong there. His hands and feet to a cross, that wasn't for him. He didn't do anything wrong. He was suffering unjustly. Right? He says, well, that's what he's called you to in a certain manner. We have been called to suffering, even unjust suffering. So we got to look what Peter does here. Peter is moving from talking about a slave and, 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 and a servant and a master, about them suffering wrongfully and how they need to take it patiently. And then he moves to talk about another servant that, that gave us the example, right, of the right type of attitude and the right type of action to have in unjust suffering. And that, in just suffering. And that servant he's speaking about is the Lord Jesus Christ. He moves from the Christian as a, as a suffering servant and he goes to Jesus Christ. Like we read in the Isaiah 53, uh, people today will call those, those chapters the suffering servant chapters. You know what they are? They are foreshadowing. They're foreshadowing the life of Jesus Christ. He was the, sub, the servant that suffered. And so we at times, like Christ, suffer unjustly. He says, for even here unto ye were called. Not just the suffering but unjust suffering sometimes. 
Now, that's a reality very hard to grasp, isn't it? That we've been called to suffering. As Christ suffered, we should, it even says we should follow his steps. His steps. His steps was this. Bearing the cross led to a crucifix. Suffering. Not for his sake, but for ours. Clowney said this. He said, a life of suffering, this is important. A life of suffering is, and this, I think, I read this over the past couple weeks. I mean, it just caused a dynamic shift in, in my mind. He says, a life of suffering is our calling and not our fate. That's heavy. Uh-huh. Because every bit of suffering comes through our life. We wanted to note the negativity, the bad. But he, he, Peter even says, you've been called to this. It's not, it's not your fate. It's your calling. It's, it's kind of interesting to note that we have, you know, the 12 disciples. They, they want to sleep where Jesus sleeps, and they go and eat whatever he eats. You know, they're following him wherever he goes. But whenever Jesus got apprehended in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they were taking him away for, for, for judgment and for trial, you know, the Bible tells us, Mark, that, that, that they all fled from him. You hearing me? They were there for all the meals of the breaking of the bread and the fishes and thousands and being, you know, fed and the miracles and the signs and the wonders and all of that. But the moment that he was going to be led from, from Garden of Gethsemane to judgment and trial, everybody's gone. Until finally John shows up. The Bible says the beloved disciple and Peter starts following him, the scripture says, at a distance to the palace of the high priest. But what I'm trying to get at is this. When are the footsteps of the master led to suffering, the following cease to happen. For that matter, whenever I read the, 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 the Gospels, the only person that we have record of the disciples that were actually at the crucifix of Jesus was John. Because from the cross, Jesus looked at John and said, Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And he took her home, the Bible said, from that hour and took care of her. The only person out of the 12 that we even had there whenever he was crucified was John. But I'll tell you this. It's hard. Brother Terry, I'll tell you this. We are no more following the example of Christ than when we are suffering unjustly. You are no more like Christ than when you are suffering unjustly. Look at this. He said, because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example. That word example in the Greek means this. It would refer in their culture time. And the best way that I can convey it for you, you know, whenever kids are like in kindergarten or even preschool, I guess nowadays, because knowledge has increased, and, you know, and you get those little papers of them learning how to write their letters, uppercase, lowercase, and they have the dotted lines or the dashed lines outline of a letter, and they are to practice by what? Tracing. That's exactly what this word is derived from, even in their culture, of when there was someone, even children, learning to write, them tracing a pattern that is outlined, trying to stay the best they could on the line. He says, we've been given such a pattern a life through the suffering servant of Jesus Christ to pattern our life after. Guess what? That, guess what is encapsulated in that pattern? Suffering. Yeah. Suffering. And so following in his footsteps is going to have to mean that sometimes you're going to be misunderstood because he was misunderstood. Following in his footsteps is going to mean somewhere along the way you're going to be bearing a cross. 
following his footsteps means somewhere along the way, you're going to have to be crucified. But ultimately, folks, along with all that, there comes the glory of a resurrection as well. Look at the example of Christ that Peter put forth for us. This example that we should follow. Verse 22, did no sin. Verse 23, when he reviled, when they reviled, he did not revile back. Whenever he was suffering, he did not threaten. But, look at the example, he committed himself to God. He bore the sins of others. Now look at this for a moment. Did no sin. Now whenever you are begotten again or born again, it is the will of God for you to live your life in victory as much as possible over sin. What does that mean? Some of the things we've already hit on in this study. That means not fashioning ourselves to former lust. We've already looked at that. That means purifying our souls by being obedient to the word of God. That means abstaining from fleshly lust. Those are all things where I looked at. Secondly, here it is. He did not revile when he was reviled. He did not threaten whenever he was suffering. It was known that in the ancient world, people, this is history, demonstrated their innocence. This hasn't really changed much. By arguing passionately against the accusers. <laughs> But if they believe they answered, they were, going to, they were going to argue. Christ, though, we look, look at the trial of Christ. He did not lash out against those who treated him unjustly. He did not. As a matter of fact, there were many times when they wanted him to speak, he even was not speaking. You can look at the gospel accounts. The only time Christ ever opened his mouth in all of the, the scourging and all that, the only time he ever opened his mouth is whenever they had some question concerning his identity and he had opened his mouth because he wanted to be identified right. Somebody hearing me? We don't have to open our mouths for anything, but if they want to, you want to get your Christian identity right, that's the moment you need to open your mouth. Not to go to your own defense, but to get my identity right. Amen. So that's when he would open his mouth. And this, this is what Peter is talking about, even with the servants and the slaves that we just looked at. Now, whenever we come to Christ, now he, he bore the sins of others. Now, there's no way you can't bear the sins of anybody else. Because of Christ's suffering, his death, that atoned, that was atonement for humanity. But here's the best thing you can do. Again, you can live your life in a good way that that will have some type of influence or it might win over somebody by your attitude and how you respond during your suffering could win somebody else over to give God consideration. So you can't, you can't bear their sins but you might be able to influence them to cast their sins on the one who can by the way that you conduct your life. Schreiner said this, living to righteousness becomes a reality by dying to sins. I want to look at another phrase in verse number, verse number, 20, uh, verse number 24. The Bible says, by whose stripes ye were healed. And we, you talk about, folks, when you talk about the stripes, you talk about the stripes that Christ had upon him. Listen to me. Historically, they say crucifixes. The stripes were so severe. Now, this even this is before you get to the cross, the scourging. The stripes were so severe, and the body was so torn in the striping or in the scourging that veins were laid bare, and that inner muscles and sinew and even bowels in the body were exposed. 
by the stripes. It says, by whose stripes ye were healed. We also see this in Isaiah 53 and 5, talking about by his stripes we are healed. We, there, are two, there are two branches to this in reality. There is a literal healing of physical body by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for our purpose in the context of Peter, there is also the healing that takes place in the spirit, a forgiveness of sins. Amen. By the stripes that was laid on Jesus Christ. And it's important. Through Jesus' earthly ministry, sometimes by hands or by word, people were healed. But the Bible says particularly, this is interesting. He said, by whose stripes, or might we say by whose wounds, we are healed. It's not his hand now that's doing it or his voice that it's doing it. It was something that was born out of his suffering. Whew. Huh? Something that was born out of his suffering. And whenever you, whenever you see the Lord, you never see where, it, I don't believe in Scripture, you never see where it's talking about come and see or look at the scars of his hands. It's the wounds. A scar is something that's in the process of healing. A wound is something that is still yet not healed. He says, by my stripes, or when he had the, those to come and put in his wounds, his wounds are that ever-giving flow of healing for the forgiveness of our sins and even for our bodies. Verse 25, I'm coming to a close. I know you all been sitting there for a while. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned. You were as sheep. There's the comparison. But now you return to what? The shepherd, the comparison. What sheep that are going astray? What are sheep going astray? Sheep that are going astray are sheep that are not submitted to the shepherd. Sheep that are going astray are sheep that are not hearkening to the voice of the shepherd. Sheep that are going astray are sheep that are not following in his steps or his direction. He says, but now, he says, you have returned. Why? Because we're in that submissive, we're in that submissive row, and we're doing it ultimately as unto the Lord. Psalms 23, in Psalms 23, the Bible talks about, and let me just turn there real quickly, and I'll close. Stand with me, and we'll close this honey out, all right? Talking about the shepherd-sheep relationship. In Psalms 23, the, the blessed, the Lord is our shepherd, Psalm it says, David is speaking as though he is a lamb and the Lord is the shepherd. He said, restore for my soul in verse 3. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. He leadeth me and therefore you're following, you're submitting to his lead. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There we are again. For his name's sake. For the Lord's sake is what I titled this, this lesson tonight. For his name's sake. What in the world? He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As a proper real shepherd in the Old Testament times, he wanted to lead his, his sheep and his flock in directions and ways that briars wouldn't get caught up in their wool and that they wouldn't fall off a precipice to the side or some mountain. He, he wanted to lead them a safe way. Why? Because somewhere along the way, when the season is right and their wool is thick enough, he's going to shear the sheep. And he's going to take that wool to a market. Mm -hmm. And people's going to come by and say, man, that looks like mighty fine wool. But you know what their testimony about the wool really indicates? He took care of his sheep. His reputation. So he says, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Because we get some old gnarly wool up there. It's got all kinds of briars and all kinds of other stuff in it. And it's kind of, you know, let's say it's just missing some of the pigmentation because the diet wasn't right. You know what that says? These people must not have had a very good shepherd. What are you saying? The way that you live your life, the way that we conduct ourselves, and all the different relationships we talked about tonight, you know what it does? It all reflects upon his name. It all reflects upon his name. And, quite frankly, whether or not people will see that and say, I don't know if I want to be a child of God or not. If that's what a child of God is, heavy stuff. Might take a week to digest this. We won't be able to teach this again until next Wednesday. <laughs> Amen. But we'll get on to chapter number three. And we'll talk about the husband-wife submission thing. Man, Peter just hit it all, I'm telling you. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads here tonight. Father, I come to you, Jesus. God, there is plenty, God, in these verses of Scripture tonight, God, for my heart to think about. God, for me to consider. Lord, I think about myself. How many times, God, have I went, Lord God, to bat? Lord, thinking I had some point to prove to try to justify the wrong word or whatever was thought or whatever was said. I wanted to be right, wanted to be clear. No doubt that is a part of human nature, but God, help me, Lord, to lean on you. Help me, God, to, at times when necessary, God, just to suffer patiently. Knowing, Lord Jesus, God, that you, Lord, keep good records and that you will take care of it all in your own time, in your own way. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today. Help me, Lord, to respect, Lord, the governing bodies. Help me, Lord Jesus, to respect, God, those, Lord, that are in authority over me, oh, God. Help me, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, not to return evil for evil. Help me, God, to feed, Lord, my enemy, Lord. Give him something to drink. Keep coals of fire upon his head. Help me, Lord, for your name's sake, for the Lord's sake. Help me, Lord, to somehow portray Lord Jesus, portray the love, portray the forgiveness, portray, Lord Jesus, the right attitude, portray the right response, I pray, oh God. Although I am tempted, Lord, more times than not to react, Lord, inappropriately, to react, Lord Jesus, Lord, in a way, God, that just doesn't, Lord, speak well, God, about you. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, help me and forgive me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we talk to the Lord right now and just talk to him for a bit? God, I pray, oh, Lord, tonight, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. God, whenever I feel like, Lord, I've been mistreated, and God, I'm the one. I feel like I'm the one that's got to make it right. I pray, oh, God, forgive me, Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, I know there's nothing wrong with stating, Lord Jesus, our position and things of that matter. God, when we, Lord, go into tirades and we go into, Lord, undercutting and slandering and excusing and blaming and, God, all these different, Lord Jesus, things, God, wash me, oh God. Help me, God, to follow your footsteps. You have called us, Lord, into suffering. You've called us, Lord, into a place, God, at times, Lord. It's not a comfortable place. It's not a comfortable place, Lord, to be receiving the lashes, God. Lord, we know that we're not deserving of or just due, Lord, to our position of Christianity and life. But God, help us, Lord, to bear it with patience, oh God. 
God, oh God, I want to be Lord, I want to be Lord, I want to be Lord, what you would want me to be, oh God. Oh, let's just sing that a little bit, Brother Mason. I want to be God what you want me to be. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.